Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, do me a favor, if you would, and you'll find at the end of the pews uh, these prayer guides, 14-day prayer guides. And so whoever's closest to those, if you could grab those and everybody take one and pass it down. Take one and pass it down. I uh, appreciate that very, very much. Uh, I'll be talking about that here in just a few minutes. And, and while, you're, while you're doing that, uh, let me also mention that coming up on Wednesday night, please go and put this on your calendar, bro. On Wednesday night, April the 19th, uh, we'll be gathering with Antioch Church, uh, which we ha- haven't had the opportunity to do in quite some time now, and um, uh, they're going to be coming to our place that night, and so we will look forward to sharing that time together. Our staffs have already met a couple of times for the, the planning process of that, and we're very, very much looking forward to that. Again, that's Wednesday night, April the 19th. Uh, well, Miss Michelle, again, thank you so much. Thank you, uh, boys and girls, for uh, sharing with us this morning. Um, uh, by the way, I, I have the privilege these days on Wednesday nights uh, to help with the kindergarten and first grade boys during Bible Expedition, and it is the most fun I've had in a long, long time. <laughs> and and by the way, it, it, moms and dads and grandparents. Uh, I hope you're learning as much as your children are learning. Now, they're talk, learning about the Ten Commandments right now, uh, not only memorizing the Ten Commandments, but also learning their purpose, their meaning, and how to apply them to their lives. In fact, if you are a parent of one of the kindergarten or first grade boys, be sure and ask them if they've done their homework assignment this week, okay? Because it has to do with that commandment about honoring your father and mother. So, so be sure and ask them if, if you'll do that. Um, well, have you come up with an answer to Michelle's question? Have you come up with an answer? What would you be willing to do? What could you do? And what would you be willing to do to be able to get a friend to Jesus? A friend who needs Jesus. A friend whose only hope can be found in Jesus. What would you be willing to do? Just before the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, He gave what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission, where he said to his followers, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and teaching them to observe to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, we call those words the Great Commission, and we all agree, yeah, 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 we really need to do that, don't we? (laughs) Uh, We do. But the question is, how do we allow those words to shape our faith? How do we allow those words of Jesus to shape our willingness to take steps of faith in order to carry that out, in order to see that done, particularly steps of faith in doing what it takes to reach friends for Christ. Well, I I love this story that we are looking at this morning from Mark chapter 2. And I want to read the entire story as we begin. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, remember, we looked a couple of weeks ago how Jesus was rejected by his hometown of Nazareth, and so he went to he made Capernaum basically his home base. And many people believe that the home that he is in here is actually the home of Simon Peter, either Simon Peter or Peter's mother and mother-in-law's house. Oh, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get, to get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat, lowered the, mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law, that's the religious leaders of the Jews, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. <laughs> this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. <laughs> well, there are all kinds of wonderful things that are, are taking place during this story. But I, I want us to first focus primarily on the faith of these four men, the ones who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now notice Jesus in verse 5 said, or verse 5 tells us, when Jesus saw their faith, I want us to see their faith too, because it's that kind of faith that it takes to get our friends to him, to Jesus. Well, notice, first of all, that these four men are really the, it would be the epitome of the expression, where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, nothing is going to stop these guys from getting their paralytic friend to Christ. Nothing is going to stop them. I mean, I, maybe these guys were, were late in getting word that Jesus was coming to town. We, we don't know exactly why, but, but by the time they got to the house, I mean, it is packed. Again, there's not even room outside the house. I mean, they, they would have tried this window or that window or, you know, all the doors were obviously blocked. They couldn't get in. I mean, they were probably pushing and shoving a little bit, maybe trying to plead their case. But nobody was going to budge because everybody wanted to be as close as they could to Jesus. So at, at, at that point, you know, many would have then said, ah, well... You know, maybe let's just wait till next time, give it another try. Just give it another try next time. But they were determined, these guys were determined to get their friend to Jesus. Well, at one side of the house, there would have been a steep set of stairs going up to the roof. That's how the homes were typically constructed in that day. And so as each one of them held on to a corner of their mat, of their friend's mat, they very carefully then began to maneuver their way up those steps and up to the roof where they then paused to take a breath for just a moment, and then they go to work. First, they attach ropes to the four corners of their friend's mat, and then they start to dig. They estimate Jesus' position in the room, and they start to dig. 
We say dig because the, the roofs in those, of those Palestinian homes were compiled of sticks and branches and reeds and thistles, uh, 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 reeds that they were covered with about a foot of dirt that was pressed down hard and, and rolled so that it would keep water out. And so they began to dig and dig and dig and dig. And as they finally began to break through, I mean, just imagine the commotion that was happening below as this was starting to happen. I mean, if, if this indeed was Peter's house or his mother-in-law's house, you can bet there was a lot of hollering going on down below. But let me ask you this. What do you think Jesus was doing while all this commotion was taking place? What do you think he was doing? I think the moment that these guys broke through the roof and began to lower their friend down, at first all they could see was, the, was their buddy on the mat. But when it, they, he got down far enough, they realized that their aim was perfect and they could see Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, I think they saw a huge smile on his face. A huge smile. I think Jesus absolutely loved what he was seeing. He was seeing their determined faith in action. And notice again, when Jesus saw their faith, he went immediately to work, which is what you see throughout the life of Christ. Every time he sees faith, he goes to work on behalf of whoever, whoever's faith that is. And he does so with great delight and joy. Well, Jesus not only loves to see their faith, but guess what? He loves to see our faith as well. He loves to see it. So many of you over the years have stepped out in faith. When you sensed God was, was calling you to do something, God was telling you to do something, you have stepped out in faith and made him smile. And as you stepped out in faith, you got to watch God unleash his power as Jesus went to work in and through your lives. And as we take to heart those words of Jesus to go and make disciples, and we step out in faith to bring our friends to him, we will all make Jesus smile. Well, we want to provide a little helpful tool for you to do that this morning. Out in the lobby and the table that's in front of the coffee, the long table that there that's in front of the coffee service, you'll find these wristbands. If I can pull mine out where you can see it here. You'll find these wristbands that are, are imprinted with the words, come and see. Remember when we, when we looked at the story of the woman at the well and she went into town, she told all the townspeople to come and see, come and see Jesus. We didn't look at the story of Philip and Nathaniel, but in John 1, when Philip goes to find Nathaniel, he says to Nathaniel, come and see Jesus. It's just a simple invitation to come and see Jesus. And so what we ask you to do is to wear these wristbands, not just between now and Easter, but, but wear them all spring. And use them as a simple conversation piece to invite people to church, to invite people to come and see Jesus, to come and see him. It's an opportunity to tell them also about your relationship with Christ. Again, just simply wear these and pray and just watch how God might use a simple little tool like that. So those are, again, out in the, in the, in the lobby, three different sizes for you to choose from. 
God works when he sees your faith. Because when you exercise faith, what are you doing? You're inviting God into the process of whatever it is you're exercising faith about. You're inviting God and his supernatural power into that process as he goes to work on your behalf. Well, Jesus smiled at the determination of these guys. But I think he also smiled at their creativity. I mean, it was quite creative, was it not? Our God is a creative God. I mean, think about this. There are over 300,000 species of beetles that God has created. I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about the bug, all right? 300,000 species of just beetles alone. Our God is infinitely creative, an infinitely creative God. And over, as you see throughout Scripture, as you read the Bible, you find that God chooses in, in many, many different ways to communicate creatively to his people. I mean, everything from talking out of a burning bush to talking through a donkey. When you read the, the, the books of the prophets, uh, uh, just for just one example, you go back and read the book of Ezekiel alone. At one point, God tells Ezekiel, these people have eyes to see, but they cannot see. They have ears to hear, but they, they cannot hear. And so God set about to creatively communicate in ways in order to try to break through that blindness, to try to break through that deafness. And so he tells Ezekiel to go out and, and to build a, a, essentially a clay model of the city of Jerusalem, and then to, to where everybody can see it, and then to do what, what I used to do when I was a kid, and that is to play army. <laughs> I mean, he tells them to set up a siege against the city of Jerusalem and to act out that siege of the city. So what God is trying to do in a very vivid way is to warn the people, hey, if you don't get right, your enemies are going to come in and you are going to be destroyed. You're going to be conquered. Well, so many people we see each and every day in the circles of influence of our lives have eyes to see and ears to hear, but they're not seeing. They're not hearing, are they? So ask yourself, is there a way that I can more creatively communicate the good news of Jesus Christ with my friends? A way that I can more creatively communicate in such a way that they would be interested and want to hear about that good news in Christ. That will bring it to life for them in a way that perhaps it never has before. God wants us to be creative in the way that we communicate His message. Now, it doesn't mean our message changes. The message never changes. But our means of communicating that message does. Are we going to exercise creative faith that does whatever it takes to reach people for Christ? Sometimes that requires an openness that maybe is not naturally there so much. An openness of attitude and heart. You know, be willing to open our minds as far as it will go and then try to open them a little bit more beyond that. If you're like me, I think we all struggle a little bit to one degree or another with a dangerous disease called hardening of the attitudes. 
It's been said about attitudes that attitudes are like diapers. If they're not changed occasionally, they start to stink. (laughs) Friends, it takes no more than just a, a cursory look around to see how fiendishly creative Satan is in his attempts to influence our culture. So should we as God's people not be willing to do as much as we possibly can with godly creativity to influence our culture, to reach out to our circles of influence for Christ? I think we often hesitate to make such an effort Because doing that, very frankly, just takes time. It takes time. And we're not sure we have that kind of time beyond our normal daily responsibilities. But again, think about these four guys. It cost them time, did it not? It cost them sweat. It probably cost them money when it came to time to repair that hole in the roof. It cost them likely ridicule from these religious leaders that were sitting there watching all this take place. It cost them the time and effort of their cooperation, figuring this all out together. But again, Jesus responds to a faith that is willing to pay the upfront price of whatever it takes to reach people for him. It's also evident that Jesus responds to their compassion. Is that not right? Their compassion compelled them to action on behalf of their paralyzed friend. Compassion also compels us to pray for our friends. Again, another tool that we're providing for you is that 14-day prayer guide. And we're inviting you to use this for these next 14 days leading up and through Easter Sunday. You'll see on the back the concentric circles of influence printed there so you get the idea of of who all is within the circles of influence of your daily pathways of living your life. And this guide will take you, will direct you, will guide you through those circles of influence as you pray for those who are the spiritually paralyzed people within your circles. Remember, a paralytic cannot walk, right? Cannot walk. They have to be carried in. So as you pray, ask God to raise your spiritual awareness of those around you each and every day, again, as you walk through those normal pathways of your life. You know, allow that wristband to to be a reminder for you. Spiritual paralytics have to be carried to Jesus. Plain and simple. Through prayer, through relationships, through a simple invitation to come to church, through sharing with your, what your relationship with Christ has meant to you personally. They have to be carried. Well, again, Jesus responded to their faith. Verse 5, again, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? (laughs) These poor religious leaders, I mean, these these teachers of the law, Jesus has now presented them with with a double-barreled theological quandary for them. You see, just before this happens in Capernaum, they had all heard about the fact that Jesus had cured, had healed a leper. 
And they had been taught from the time that they were born, they've been taught from their entire lives that no one can heal a leper except for God. And now Jesus not only has healed this leper, but now he's also has told a man that his sins are forgiven. Something else that only God can do. So all that means is that either Jesus is God or he is a terrible blasphemer and deceiver of the very worst kind. You see, based upon their teaching, based upon their training, their background, there was no middle ground for them. No middle ground. He was either one or the other. Jesus was throwing down the gauntlet here, and he knew it. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, pretend you're in the crowd. You're, you're right in front of them. You're, maybe you're sitting right behind where those teachers of the law are sitting, are sitting, and how would you answer that question? Which is easier? Which is easier? Is, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, remember, <laughs> Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived, right? The very smartest person who has ever lived. You could make an argument for either one of these. But that was not Jesus' point here. I, I, I think it's really a trick question, essentially. See, as the teachers of the law are debating the answer in their brains, I think what Jesus is trying to get across to them is to get them to realize this. Both statements are impossible to make unless you are God. <laughs> Plain and simple, both are impossible unless you are God. Jesus, God in human flesh, is the only solution to their theological dilemma. But there is no way that these religious leaders are going to go there. And Jesus knows that. And so he then says in verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is, is essentially saying, hey, I'll just give you the answer to that question. It's only easy to say both of those things if you are God, because only God can do both. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Huh. Wow. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I mean, unbelievable. They're overwhelmed with amazement. They, they, as they see this take place, <clears throat> they break out in spontaneous praise of God. This is the undeniable authority of the Son of Man, the healing power of Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's what they have just seen take place. 
Well, in conclusion, I have to say this. There is one sense in which Jesus, in his humanity, may have had a a fleeting thought cross his mind at that point in thinking that maybe the harder thing to say is your sins are forgiven. And why might that be? It's because he knew what it was going to take to forgive that man's sins, to forgive all our sins, that it would require him laying down his life upon the cross, shedding his blood upon the cross, so that all, all who trusted him might then be able to get up and walk into abundant and eternal life with him. Let's pray. Father, um, um, we thank you for our amazing Lord Jesus. We we thank you that um, on, on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, that we know that our sins have been forgiven because of the the price that he paid for us upon the cross. Lord, give us compassionate hearts that desire to see those within the circles of influence of our lives who are spiritually paralyzed, hearts to want to see them come to know Jesus as well, to see them Find faith in Him. Lord, may we have more and more the kind of faith that these four friends of that physical paralytic had in this story. A faith that is willing to pay the upfront price. To do whatever it takes to see our friends come to Jesus. We ask these things in His blessed name. Amen.